Week one of college football is in the books and the Pac-12 had a mixed bag. Tell us what you guys think about it. I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. Me and Ralph are going to recap everything. This is the Pac-12 Apostles. I'm George Reister with Ralph Hampson. Ralph, after week one of the Pac-12 college football season, what grade would you give the conference for overall for how everybody did? Well, you and I put so much weight on Oregon beating Auburn that it's not going to be an A or a B. Uh, you have a couple of bad losses. You have a, a, a large uh, handful of terrible offensive performances, um, but you did get eight wins, if, if I'm counting correctly. And so I got to give this a solid C for opening weekend for the Pac-12. I would, I would give it a B minus. And the reason why I would give it a B minus is because of the offensive performances. They weren't that great, but they did come out with eight wins. And there was a really only, I, well, there, there was, I would give it three bad losses. I would say the Arizona Hawaii loss was just atrocious. The UCLA Cincinnati loss was terrible because I have no idea. I've, I am I'm praying that UCLA looks better next week because they may lose to San Diego State. I but they have a serious quarterback issue, I think, with Dorian Thompson Robinson. I don't want to jump off the train too fast. And also the Oregon Auburn loss was just I mean, that was bad, dude. That was heartbreaking. That was a disaster. And from from my view. Uh, it wasn't great. I mean, there, there are a couple of things in that game where you where you look and say, if these go differently, not only is it a, it a win, it's a huge win. Uh, Brian Addison's got to be kicking himself. I'm not going to kick him, you know, any more than he's going to be beating himself up all week long for dropping that touchdown pass in the end zone. There were a couple of coaching decisions. Probably shouldn't have been any time left on the clock uh, for uh, for Auburn to, to make that game-winning drive anyway. And then you got Justin Herbert throwing the ball into the sun oh, God. instead of actually giving his receivers a chance to make a play in the end zone. So, I mean, th- there there was enough there. I, let's, let's be very clear about this. Oregon was the better team on the field. For sure. And I'm not somebody who is, you know, I'm, I'm a Pac-12 apostle, but I'm not a Pac-12 apologist. If it's bad, it's bad. And uh, yesterday, Oregon looked faster. Um, they looked more talented. Auburn's got some good stuff going on, and that would have been a really good win had Oregon pulled it off. But, I mean, there is no reason Oregon should have walked away from that game with a loss yesterday. Well, I guess that's where we will start uh, with the Oregon-Auburn game, which everybody put so much weight upon. And even Auburn's running back after the game, I didn't appreciate the smack talk after the game. He was like, oh, well, I don't know where they're from. ACC, Pac-12, I don't know, but but we're not letting the Pac-12 come team beat us. And I was just like, dude, you got whooped all four quarters. You guys, it was more of Oregon lost than Auburn won that that game. So I that was another reason why I wanted the Pac-12 to win so much. And also, I put out a video this week about Pac-12 fans, about why they need to be rooting for other Pac-12 schools. And that is the prime reason why. The prime reason why. And I got crazy responses, Ralph. I got crazy responses uh, from Pac-12 fans because this is what the other conferences do. They align. They are they are allies, not friends. You know, you have to understand the difference between a friend and an ally is when it, it – 
it's almost like I can fight with my sister and say some things that maybe uh, that she doesn't like, but then let somebody else say that to her. Then we have a whole different set of problems. But Pac-12 fans don't seem to understand that, Ralph, and I don't understand why. I'm I'm kind of on the fence about it. I, I don't think I'll be convinced either way. Um, you know, I, I think that it's important for the conference as a whole, it, if it's going to be respected, to perform well in games like that in, and on weeks like this, um, because you want the games to mean more when you're playing each other. Um and, and then I know people who are militantly against it. My, you know, my buddy Joe Healy, who runs a super popular podcast out here in Arizona called Speak of the Devils, you know, he, he quote tweeted you and got about 50 responses of him basically saying, like, explain to me what this ever does for Arizona State for anyone else to be good. It only ever helps the best team. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that playing against good football teams in the season prepares you to play good football in the postseason, it also means more money for your conference. Um, but at the same time, you know, when a team like Arizona goes out to Hawaii and takes a loss against the Mountain West Conference, um, I don't. Th- there's not really much for me to say there. I don't. I, you know, I don't kick the dirt or anything like that. I'm I, so I'm not a fan, right? I'm not a fan of those other teams. But it, I I recognize that it would have been better for the conference overall had that not been the case and had Arizona gone out there and gotten a win. So um, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm firmly entrenched in any corner of this, but I think there's just plain logic in the fact that if you have a conference, you want all the teams in it to be very good and you want to be the best of those very good teams. Exactly. And that was why when he responded back to me, I responded back to him. I was like, dude, that's a loser mentality. That's a defeated mentality. How about everybody else around me is just bad. Like it doesn't make you good. I remember when I got in the NFL, there there was another tight end who had been there, a veteran tight end name was Kyle Brady. And Kyle and I always ask Kyle, uh, I said, Kyle, why do you like cheer for me and root for me to do well. And like, you always seem to positive. You always seem to want to help me, but I'm trying to take your job. I don't understand. And he said, George, look, here's the thing you have to understand about the NFL. It, this applies to college football, all of this. He said, just because um, you do well, I'm sorry, just because you do bad, that doesn't mean I keep my job. He said, I have to do well to keep my job because if you do bad poorly and I do poorly, guess what? That doesn't mean I get the job. They'll get rid of both of us and bring somebody else in. So I'm not threatened by you. I just know that I need to perform the way I need to perform the way I can get the job. And and so it doesn't do me any good to root for you to fail. I can root for you to succeed, but I'm just rooting for me to succeed a little bit more than you. And that's the same way that Pac-12 fans need to be because I got Oregon fans to I'll never root for Washington. Well, how about when Washington plays Auburn? That way, the the way, the way if imagine if Washington had beat Auburn last year and then Oregon goes to beat Washington, how much better does that make the Ducks program look? And how much better does that I mean, like it's like you said, Ralph, it is simple logic, and Pac-12 fans need to embrace that, even for your rivals. And then as soon as Pac-12 play starts, all bets are off. 
I mean, what do you think? What do you think Boise State was thinking when they got their victory over Florida State and they're watching Wyoming beat up on Missouri in Laramie? And you knew I was going to talk about that because I'm from Wyoming. But if you're Boise State and you're watching Wyoming beat up on on uh, Missouri in Laramie, you got to be thinking to yourself, "Oh, now when we play Wyoming this year, that win's going to mean that much more, it, and that'll give us a chance to play in a more meaningful bowl game." And so, I mean, it does. It you know what it does. It might not do anything in some people's mind for the conference for other teams to be good. You might only be worried about yourself. But it definitely doesn't do you any good for UCLA to go lose at Cincinnati. Oh, it definitely doesn't. It definitely doesn't do you any good to have JT Daniels tear his ACL against Fresno State. Yep, I 100% agree with you. But let's break down this Oregon Auburn game. Uh, I mean, when you look at the stats and the numbers, this is a pretty much a. It was pretty much a one sided affair. The, Justin Herbert, 28 for 37, 242 yards, a touchdown. Bo Nix only 13 for 31 and five of those, I think we're on the last drive and you're just sitting there with two touchdowns and two picks. I mean, I, I just, it frustrated me so much. A number, number one, Oregon left some plays on the field. They dropped a touchdown, missed a field goal, had a fumble on a wide open touchdown in the red zone. It was just, it, it was just missed opportunity for them to put Auburn away and then in the second half, aside from that first drive where they scored, or after that, Oregon went in a shell and got super conservative. And I I hated it because not one single time throughout the entire second half, I don't believe, I think I'm right, that there was not a pass thrown by Justin Herbert over 15 yards. Some of that is play calling. and Well, some of it is Justin Herbert, but the majority of it is play calling because it was all quick get the ball out right now, try to get four yards, and and they just played right into Auburn's hand instead of being aggressive, going for it on fourth and one early in the fourth quarter, and not waiting until that one big moment, like go out and be aggressive, win the game while you have the football instead of trying to have a defensive stand, even though your defense was playing phenomenal yesterday. And I think this probably, for me, it just all filters back into that mindset of, you know, when you when you're in a conference surrounded by good teams and you play a lot of close games, when crunch time comes, you don't have to act like you haven't been there before, or that you don't have to act like you have been there before because you have. It's not an act, right? And so, you know, you're you're in this position, and and Mario Cristobal, you know, to his credit, has done a great job in in filling that roster with high end talent. Um, there there. <laughs> there were players on the field for Oregon yesterday that it was very obvious would do absolutely fine over a 12, 13 game season in the SEC. I mean, Troy Dye, Troy Dye had an amazing day. Uh, and then at the end of the day, speed kills for me. I, I think that it was speed versus size. And I really hate to fall into the whole Pac-12 versus SEC stereotype, but you had one big, bad bruising team and you had a team full of cheetahs. And it really showed in the first quarter when Auburn just couldn't keep up with Oregon. But for some reason, Oregon didn't have what it took to be able to run that up. I mean, they should have had 21 very early on. Addison drops that ball in the in the end zone. And then from there, it was just like, it, it just felt like they never really got that momentum back because the pedal was to the floor before that. It really was. I saw some really, really good things from them. That, that running that bubble screen with Jalen Red getting seven yards here and there with Johnny Johnson, you know, uh, making making catches. Uh, 
this is going to be a very good team. It's going to be a really hard team for anybody in the Pac-12 to deal with, but this is a win that they should have gotten, especially against a freshman quarterback. Bo Nix showed a lot of moxie, but at the end of the day, he went 13 for 31. He hit on two or three passes in the fourth quarter that really mattered, but he also gave the ball, the ball away twice, and what did Oregon do with it? So, Ralph, I have a point and a question for you before we wrap up this Oregon game. So the point is, is that as as much as as good as Oregon played, right? They had, you know, the the running backs did well, everybody did well. The thing that everybody pointed to with this game was going to be the offensive line versus the or um Auburn's defensive line. And I thought it was very clear that Oregon's offensive line won that battle. I mean, like they did, they had a great day blocking those Auburn defensive linemen. And aside from when Auburn brought pressure, it was the backs that had a little bit of trouble blocking them as opposed to the defensive line. So I think that all the hype surrounding Oregon's offensive line was very, very warranted. And the question I have to you, Ralph, is after looking at that game, because Oregon clearly played the toughest team out of any Pac-12 school this week. So how do you, what was your takeaway from this team in terms of the national conversation? I think that Oregon is definitely in contention to win the Pac-12. My mind hasn't changed on that. I'm not sure if I would completely agree on the offensive line doing it. There, there were a couple of instances where I felt like the offensive line did a good job when they got that touchdown taken away and had to come back in and, and punch it in um, that, you know, they, they did a good job there. Um, but other than that, I mean, if you take away the 37 yard run from CJ Verdell, uh, you're talking about, tw- and you take away the minus 16 yards on uh, Justin Herbert's losses on his eight, you know, quote unquote carries then you're sitting at uh, 24 carries for 69 yards. That's not going. That's 2.9 yards a carry. That's not going to get it done. Um, but their running game was also the bubble screen game, and so they got a lot of those yards that way. Um, yeah. My thing is, I still have the same concern about Justin Herbert. He needs to be able to prove that he is a star quarterback and not just somebody who peaked as a sophomore. Um, it was he he had a good completion percentage but he was throwing very completable passes when it came time to really go downfield there wasn't a lot um you know i think he, they he had the 147 yard pass to johnny johnson and everything else was 20 yards and under every single reception on the oh, day oh for sure so that's an issue for sure um the offensive line is definitely i think the class of the pack 12 and and the, their uh, burden of proof wasn't really high all they had to do was hold their own against auburn for, for them to look like they were as advertised. And I feel like they did that. The one thing that you and I okay. have talked about even off air is I wanted to see a better effort from Thomas Graham. I think he can be a star. I want to see him step up. And I feel like he did that. I think, I think he had a pretty good game. Yeah, I would I would say he had a pretty good good game, but the star is the dude that I believe in. The dude who is the best guy I think on Oregon's entire defense, that's Javon Holland. He is a NFL first round pick just just written all over the kid. Like he's fantastic and he's number number 8. If you did, you couldn't help but hear his name yesterday. He was definitely but, all over the place. Did he am, am I wrong on this? Did I miss did he drop an interception though? 
No. Okay. No. No, he didn't drop an interception. No, he he was like no, he caught an interception. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um the next game I want to talk about is the second toughest game for any Pac-12 team yesterday. That was Stanford, well Northwestern versus Stanford. Northwestern came out to the farm. After last year, Stanford had to go out there, play like a 9 a.m. kick, which was atrocious, and it did not end well for Stanford. And Stanford ended up holding on 17-7. to What was your takeaway from Stanford in this game? Oh, well, David Shaw, after the game, sounds like he listens to our podcast because he was angrily defending Cameron Scarlett uh, to, a, to a reporter who just asked, you know, what has he done to step up? And, uh, and David Shaw was like, first of all, let's just talk about the fact this kid's in the best shape of his life, and he put in the work, and he's been here a long time. I think, what, he had 22 carries for 97 yards, so he had a good enough game. Um, the real storyline to come out of this game is that uh, K.J. Costello was done dirty, and um, I, I know that these weren't this wasn't necessarily a Pac-12 crew, but when you watch Pac-12 football, you get pretty sick of terrible officiating, and if they're not going to protect the quarterbacks in this conference – when this conference's best assets are its quarterbacks, then it's going to be a long ass year. That was a bad, I mean, that was a clear targeting call on the Northwestern player. That was atrocious. He should have been thrown out of the game. And then uh, Mills was able to come in and he's clearly not the same quarterback because he's young. He's a freshman. He's not the same quarterback as KJ Costello is, but they were able to hold on. And I think that that's a little bit of credit to, Stanford's defense, who was stout, they didn't even give up a touchdown until the fourth, almost the end of the fourth quarter, really. And but North also to Northwestern is not the hotbed of offense, and and like you said, with David Shaw defending Scarlett, nobody's calling Scarlett a bum. He's just not special. Like they're like he's not a special back. I will say though, I will give him credit. He did look better at finding holes than he had shown at any point in time and had he gotten carries over the last couple of seasons. So there's promise there, but this team is going to have to throw the football to win because those days of having a bat go for 200 yards, 180, 190 yards, that's not happening. And it's especially not happening against Pac-12 North competition. It's not happening against Cal. It's not happening against Oregon. We saw that. It's not happening against Washington. I, so so Stanford better get ready. Hope K.J. Costello is not going to spend any time out. And, you know, because they have a tough schedule. They're off at USC next week, and they get kind of a break because K.J. Costello – I'm sorry, because J.T. Daniels is down. And then they head to, to UCF. So they better hope K.J. Costello can get back quickly. He looked so good in the first half. I mean, he looked – he looked legit, like he looked NFL ready yep. in that first half. And then Northwest, I, I don't, I feel like Northwestern wasn't really playing to win. I feel like they're playing to keep it close because you and I talked about on the preview show Isaiah Bowser, their running back. Um, he was good, and Stanford was going to have uh, uh, trouble handling him. He only touched the ball ten times, crazy for fifty-four yards. Outside of Isaiah Bowser, I think they had 24 carries for uh, 40-some yards. Yeah, yeah. yeah so so, but, but Bowser had 10 down. carries for 54. They didn't feed their best players. They they looked like they were just trying to stay in the game. So, of course, at the end of the game, when they actually have to open up the offense, they end up giving up a defensive touchdown. 
which allowed Stanford to cover oh, the spread, which was kind of that funny, was but. the worst. That was one of the worst bad beats for any gamblers that I've ever seen. Because Stanford was a six point, Stanford was a six point favorite in the game, and they were up ten to seven. North Northwestern, the game is ending. It it's over. They're they're going to give the ball back to Stanford, and the game's going to be over. Take a knee, no harm, no foul. If you bet Northwestern, you win. What was it? A bad snap that ends up. It was either bad bad snap or no. He he rolled. He just rolled out too far and got destroyed oh, by yeah. two players. Fumbled into the end zone, and then Northwestern had a chance to fall on the football and missed. Ends up being a touchdown yep. for Stanford. Yep. So a safety would have been fine. It would have gave you a five point victory. But yeah, that was absolutely awful. That was awful and atrocious. Um, next game up, Ralph, we'll, we'll go to the USC, we'll go to the USC Fresno state game. I said it and this ended up happening. It it didn't happen the way exactly. I thought it would, because I didn't think that JT Daniels was going to get hurt, but I thought that USC would win this game, but it was not going to be, it's not, it wasn't going to be far enough apart for anybody to like, you know, feel confident about the future and about the direction of the program and all of this stuff. But with JT Daniels hurt that buys a little bit of excuses and good grace for clay, clay Helton. So the bar, I think the bar has been effectively lowered a little bit for his, for his hot seat. Yeah. uh, This was a frustrating game to watch. I watched it start to finish and I, I, I was pissed off pretty much the entire time. This, this is the equivalent of an NFL team playing against a CFL team. And you know that it should probably be a blowout, but you know that the rules are a little bit different in the CFL. So there might not be some stuff for the NFL team to prepare for. And then at the end, it ends up being a close game. And because it was a close game, you have people in that shouldn't have been in end up getting hurt. And the whole thing's just a giant mess. So a win is a win, but there were, first of all, there were two things in that game that Clay Helton did that genuinely made me fear for his job, regardless of whether they won the game or not. One was the opening kickoff having two players wearing the same freaking jersey number, so they get a sixty-one yard return. Oh lord, game. yes, that is like that is one that you you can't get away from that. That's one hundred percent a coaching and preparation issue. You can't blame a player. You can't come out and you can't do anything other than eat that blame. So even if you're the kind of person to like put responsibility on somebody else, you can't. And then the second thing is you have a true (laughs) freshman quarterback. You are at midfield. It is fourth down and you, all you need to do is try to draw them off sides. And if it doesn't work, eat a delay of game and punt the football. And instead Clay Helton, again, he's the one who made the decision. The blame can fall on nobody else. Clay Helton takes a timeout and then he rolls Keaton Slovis back out onto the field and you figure okay you have another opportunity to try to draw them off sides and if it doesn't work eat the penalty and punt the football and they snapped the football and Keaton Slovis got hit the moment he snapped the football so the offensive line wasn't even ready you could tell they weren't even bought into this idea the the crew the announcers were flabbergasted that they would ever even try to do this in the first place. And then all of a sudden Fresno state has the ball at the end of the game with a chance to tie. And you could just tell Fresno state 
was not afraid of this much more talented team. And then, I mean, if you you can the mistakes. Stephen Carr comes out in the first quarter and he looks like an absolute monster. You know how many times he got the ball? Six. six. <laughs> he caught six passes, which was huge. But out of the backfield, he looked like the best player. He got the ball six yeah, times out of the backfield. Uh, Tyler Vaughn's was a man among boys out there, and somehow Amon Ross St. Brown, who is one of the best high school receivers I've ever seen in my life, couldn't get it going. Michael Pittman Jr. had six catches for 28 yards. He was kind of wasted. This was just that you could see all of the talent out there on the field and and them never really being able to put it together. I don't know if it's the offensive system that they're running. I, I don't know what's going on, but they looked really good early on, and then it felt like they were just trying to screw up. And it all was a top-down thing. And now I feel like I have a little bit better understanding of everybody who's pissed off at Clay Helton. Yeah, so we we have in, in one week, we have – I think we should start keeping track of this, Ralph. The, the worst decisions of the year. So we already through one week have, have three of the possible three worst coaching – I mean, like th- these are going to make it to the finals when we get to the end of the season. You have the Clay Helton, that timeout that you just described. You have um, an Air- Arizona. You you have they called a timeout fourth and twenty six, and you have Oregon and Mario Cristobal not knowing the rules, not knowing that Justin Herbert couldn't come back in after a timeout. <laughs> it- it, it, it was. It, this is why maybe you need NFL hasn't figured out you four preseason games. So maybe maybe college football just needs a preseason game to get people back in. I, I all I know is Isaiah Polamau, who is uh, uh, near and dear to my heart. He's somebody who broke his commitment story on my website, ArizonaVarsity.com. If he doesn't get that interception at the end of the fourth quarter, uh, and and Fresno State keeps driving because I mean I, I was cracking up. Jorge Reina, Fresno State's quarterback. I mean he's just like. And every man, like, I feel like I've worked with Jorge Reina at every job I've ever had. Like, I, he's just somebody I wanted to hang out with, right? Like, it, it, it felt like you had a rec league quarterback out there just taking it to USC. So at the end, I was almost rooting for Jorge Reina to be carried off like a hero. Um, but, you know, Isaiah Polamaui steps in, he gets that interception. And, and this is the most uncomfortable I think any Pac-12 team has to be after getting a win. Oh, I 100% agree with that, dude, because they got Stanford rolling into town next week, and it is not – no, no, no. They have, do they have Stanford or they have UCF? Either way, it's it's you, trouble. I mean, th- there are no breaks on this. So they, they have uh, Stanford uh, on the 7th yep. and then BY, at BYU on, yeah, on the which 14th, is, which is going to be uh, Keaton Slovis's first taste of a hostile road game. And let's talk about that for a second, because JT Daniels being out for the year, how does that affect your expectations of USC as a whole? Um, I'm I'm not super high on JT Daniels to begin with. So, uh, but however, he's still better than a true freshman. I, I'm I don't really love it, but uh, I mean, I, I I think that that I think that JT Daniels is at least two wins better than probably Slovis. I never, I never really liked JT. I didn't get what rivals saw in him uh, when when those ratings came out. Um, 
And so, I, I mean, I've never been that high on JT Daniels. I don't like his size. I don't like his delivery. Um, but the one thing that he knows how to do and, you know, from his time in high school up through now is get the ball to the guys who make the plays. That's the yep. thing that he's the absolute best at. I've been watching Keaton Slovis play since he was a junior in high school. And the thing with Keaton Slovis is he's never really played against anybody. Like the best, the best uh, competition he's ever had was Fresno State. And from this week out, every single team he faces will be the best competition he's ever seen. He is somebody in a t-shirt and shorts will make you think that he's the next coming of Kurt Warner. <laughs> and that's something that you've actually heard Graham Harrell said he's as good as anybody I've ever seen. It's okay, we'll different see. when you're in pads. It's different yep. when you're in pads because he's never really had to face pressure before. He threw a beautiful deep ball last night, and and that made people think, oh well, you know, th- this could be really good for us. Then he went out and tried to do it again and threw a pick. So Every, everybody's good in underwear, dude. Everybody's good in underwear. Um, the next game, uh, who had a tough game. I expected the game to be a little bit closer than this because, uh, because the team that they were playing is not expect was not doesn't have high expectations. But I should have known because it's, at the end of the day, it's Oregon State. You had Oklahoma State versus Oregon State. Who I was watching this game on my phone at a high school football game. So it took me about 45 seconds to figure out which team was which team because they look exactly alike. <laughs> yeah, they can't do that again. They can't do that again. It was funny for a minute, but I mean, that. And kudos to both quarterbacks for not throwing an interception because, I, know. I mean, for a minute there, uh, you had, you had uh, uh, like 75 total passes in this game without one interception. And every single time a receiver caught the ball, I was like, is it? Oh. Who is that? Like, yeah, I kept forgetting which team was which, and then you see the OSU in the helmet, the the black and orange. It's the exact same thing. It was like it was like Finkel is Einhorn, Einhorn is Finkel. It was like which one of you guys? It's like that Spider Man meme where where yeah. they're both pointing at each other. They're like, oh no, it's you. But I so positively, I would say that um, Jake Lutton, Luton, however you say his name, I apologize. Um, he he played he played well. Couldn't considering how he was last year, threw for two fifty one, three touchdowns. At the, the I guess the the more disappointing part was the fact that they gave up. Oh God, they gave up three hundred and fifty two yards rushing. So if if they're giving that up to Oklahoma State, then some of these other Pac twelve teams are going to have a field day. But Jamar Jefferson only ended up 16 carries, 87 yards, which has to be a disappointment. In in this, Yeah, this game to me was a credit to Mike Gundy because you have your offensive identity. Sometimes you just want to come in and be yourself regardless of what your what looks you're being given on the defensive side of the football. And uh, I think I think Mike Gundy was smart enough to say like, you know, we like to throw the ball around, but against this team, if we keep the ball on the ground, we're going to be able to get out of here without really breaking a sweat. And that's what they did. They ran the ball 52 times for 352 <laughs> yards. I, everybody in the Pac-12 had to be looking at this game like, all right, well, going up against Oregon State's not going to be great for our defensive stats. They obviously know how to move the bo- football. They got talent on the O-line. They got talent. Isaiah Hodgins looks like a stud. Jamar Jefferson went right back to doing what, what he he does, Artavis Pierce looks solid. So you figure like, oh, this is going to hurt our overall defensive stats. They're going to move the football, but my God, they can't stop a soul. 
you shouldn't give up over eight yards of carry to two separate running backs who have more than 10 <laughs> carries ever. You should dude, never, ever, ever be in that position. Dude, imagine, and they did it. imagine what Inno Benjamin and Zach Moss are thinking about playing Oregon State this year. Oh, it's that Birdman gif where he's just rubbing his hands together. Like, that's everybody right now. <laughs> They're like, barbecue chicken. Like, Absolutely. Well, uh, on on to the next game. We, you know, you you can't spend a whole lot of time on Oregon State. I'm sorry. It, it's just not. Yeah, uh, even if you're true. Even if you're trying to run out the clock, they'll just let you score a touchdown. <laughs> um, how would you judge – Colorado's 52-31 game over Colorado State because it was Mel Tucker's first game. Um, It's the last game for a while, I think, in the Colorado-Colorado State game or at least at that particular stadium. And overall – At Invesco, yeah, where you can't drink. We talked about that last time. Can't drink there. And and overall, Colorado looked great. The only question mark is uh, we're we're circling Lavishka Chenault three catches, forty eight yards, and a touchdown. It was like they were saying, you know what, you may beat us, but guess who won't beat us? It will not be the Chenault man. And and as you can see, that works out in Colorado's favor. So I think they'll take it. And the cool thing about LaVisca Chenault, as, as much as we want him to have, you know, 25 touches every single game, to score three, four touchdowns every single game, I, I've met the dude, I've talked to the dude, nobody has ever cared less about stats than this man. So as long as the team's able to put up 52 points, I don't think he cares. I mean, Montez only had to throw the ball 20 times in this game. Um, they they really only, I think they ran like 60 plays. Yeah, that was the- They scored like 52 points on 60 plays. So that's encouraging. Um, the, on the other side, wow, they gave, gave up a lot of passing yards. Like, I, And I know that 374 isn't that much when you're just talking about Pac-12 play, but this wasn't a Pac-12 team. This was Colorado Correct. State. And, and not one single receiver had over 100 yards. So there were holes all over this defense, and that's a problem. Definitely, because you gave up 31 receptions for 374. That's over 10 yards a catch. That is way too far. That is way too much. I mean, those are bad numbers, even if you're playing against Mike Leach's Washington State with a phenomenal quarterback. Like, those are still bad there. And I think here, here to me, is the biggest problem for, for Colorado. They were up the whole time. Colorado State pretty much had to throw every time. And Colorado only had two sacks, and beyond that, only two quarterback hurries. That is awful. Like even even if your defensive backs are good, they're going to get torched if you can't find a way to pressure the quarterback. Um, the, right now, I look at that defense, and you know they they had the uh, Mikiel Onu who had two interceptions, which is good, and Nate Landman continues to be one of the more solid linebackers in the Pac-12. But the rest of these guys got to step up. I don't know if it's a scheme thing or Mel Tucker has to step in and be more involved, but my goodness, you can't you you can't only hurry the quarterback twice. Well, Mel is a really good defensive coach, so you you have to think that he's curious. Okay, I got to get some new players who can run the system that I want to run because a lot of the times it's personnel. Because when you're running, um, like I, I've talked to other coaches who scout Alabama and they're like, yo, Alabama can do different things and Georgia can do different things on defense and Washington um, and Utah can do different things on defense than other teams can do because they can't hold up on the outside at the corner position or safeties one-on-one 
if you blitz and all these things like other teams can or, or they don't tackle in space as well. So it makes it a lot easier. But Colorado this this week, they get Nebraska and Nebraska. Uh, it came in the season ranked last year. Colorado snuck out of there after Adrian Martinez got hurt. So you have to know that even though the game is in Boulder, it should be much more competitive and Nebraska is a much better team than they were last year. That is true. That is true. But I, I still don't see them throwing the ball for 350 yards. So hopefully uh, Colorado is ready to stop the run. Oh, game. for sure. Um, the next game up, your team, your squad, the Arizona, well, actually your squad is the Arizona Wildcat Amsdens. Oh, hey now. <laughs> the, but, your, but the team that you cover the most, the Arizona State Sun Devils, I will tell you, even – okay, first first off, I have to be honest. I don't like a 30-7 to 7 win over Kent, Kent State. Just optically, it doesn't look good. Yeah. However, I came away very impressed with Jaden Daniels. And even though it was Kent State, I was impressed. He's a he's a freshman. And now I'm looking because I was trying to calculate the quarterbacks in the Pac-12. And I'm like, there's only really three I really like a lot. And that's Herbert, Eason, and well, I don't love Eason, but KJ Costello, Eason, and Herbert. Those are the three best quarterbacks in the conference. But after that, I'm looking like I'm like Jaden Daniels could be in that second tier of quarterbacks because I don't love a because you know how I feel about Khalil Tate Amsden. I don't I don't love Steven <laughs> Montez that much. You know, Cal Cal's quarterback situation is atrocious. Garbers was bad again. So I'm looking at at Jaden Daniels and I'm like, okay, you got a shot, buddy. I, I would take him even over Tyler Huntley at at Utah right now. Yeah, I, I was impressed. At the same time, I see things that need to be fixed immediately. Um, first of all, Jaden Daniels is unbothered. I mean, Bo Nix level unbothered. Those two dudes are some of the most college-ready quarterbacks I've ever seen just as far as, like, the environment doesn't shake them at all. Like, that, he, he took five sacks, partially – because the offensive line has a couple of major issues. Their, their backup center uh, broke his foot on Sunday, and so they started a true freshman center and a true freshman quarterback, and I don't know when the last time that's ever happened is. And uh, he, t- he, he took five sacks. He tried to make some throws that you probably could have got away with in high school just with his level of talent, and those went a little awry. But other than that, I mean, it, it, this kid looks like he doesn't sweat. This kid looks like he doesn't breathe hard. Like his resting, cooler than the other side of the pillow. Exactly. Like his resting heart rate is like five, <laughs> five beats a minute. <laughs> Same as his jersey number. And so, like, I, I, that part impressed me. He's definitely going to have to maybe get a little more worried about his own personal safety because he is he has the body of a broomstick. And 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 in two weeks they're going to be in Lansing, Michigan, and those boys don't mess around when it comes to putting a bruising on the quarterback. And so. Um, a lot's going to fall to Eno Benjamin. Offensive line isn't as good as we thought it would be. I was, I, they played 25 freshmen, George. 25. That's now, now that is a testament for Arizona State for the future, as long as those freshmen are really good. 
And but I, I totally agree with you about the offensive line. Uh, you know, this was Kent State. So when you play Utah, when you play, you know, even uh, uh, Rector at USC, when you play Oregon, like these are not going and Washington, you are going to run into a serious problem, a serious problem when you have a freshman quarterback under fire, even though he's a gunslinger and he can throw the ball. He will start dripping some sweat once you knock a dude down enough times. We'll see, and I, I would worry if he didn't, because that'd make him a sociopath. I want to read you two. I want to read you two uh, two things here, and and you let me know what you think of them. Um, first of all, Jack Jones first play on the field, he forces a fumble. What do you think of his comeback? That's a big deal, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He he came from US USC. I think he's a Long Beach Poly kid. He uh he got kicked out of school. I'm I'm all for second chances if you jump through all the hoops and the necessary things that you need to. I believe we live in a second chance world and nobody's perfect. So, you know, so you just have to if people go through all the steps, I like that. And I think he immediately makes Arizona State's roster better because he's a five star athlete. He's a like so I, I I like it. I was happy about it. Yeah, so you know, I'm happy he's got it. He's he's got a shot, and it's in the Pac-12. So I lo- I love talent staying out west. And then here's a fun one: Michael Turk, <laughs> five punts, sixty-three yards per punt, four of them over fifty yards, three of them inside the twenty with a long of seventy-five. Dude, that was impressive. I was like, he is a weapon. I was that was I forgot to even mention that was one of the parts of the Oregon Auburn game that I was excited about because Oregon hasn't had a spectacular punter in God knows how long. And I was wondering, I mean, it's almost like Alabama and field goal kickers. But but this kid Turk, he is a change the field position kind of guy. So that's one of those things that kind of helps make up for your offensive line when you do get put in some bad spots is that your punter can then boom a 75-yard punt out of bounds inside the 20, and you're like, oh, okay, now our defense can come out and play a little bit better. Yeah, because you, you got your punters who are like the coffin corner specialists, and then you got your, your guys who can boom the ball. It's very rare that you find a guy who can do both. Maybe this was an anomaly. Maybe this was just like a one-off great, great performance in punter history. But I mean, if if Herm Edwards and his sort of slow down, methodical NFL style uh, game plan has a punter like this, Arizona State's probably going to be in some games that they don't deserve to be in. Yeah, I I a hundred percent agree with you. And if they can keep feeding the meter with you know Benjamin, the offensive line gives him a bunch of line holes to run through. But I'm concerned about his rushing ability too, because if you're because here's the thing about running backs and why they're kind of devalued sometimes is because as good as they are, as good as they are sometimes, well, a lot of times if they don't have good people blocking for them, they can't do anything. They are just left out to dry. Um, Next game I want to go over is uh, Utah and BYU. Uh, 30 to 12 Utah won the game. There was a long lightning delay it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, they, they, Utah just put BYU in a stranglehold. They couldn't score. They could barely move the ball. However, my same, I left the game 
with the exact same concerns as I came with coming into the game for Utah. Their quarterback, Tyler Huntley, is not special enough for them to – I don't think he's special enough for them to beat any Pac-12 team in the Pac-12 championship. And and they're not special – and he's not special enough to take this team, if they did even do that, to get a victory in a – in a in the college football playoff, that that would be an absolute massacre. It, yeah, yeah, I, I'm very curious to see what this team looks like playing from behind. Um, you might not have to worry about it uh, because I, this was, I mean, this was impressive. Utah goes into Provo and they immediately made BYU play their game, and that was where we were at for the entirety of the game. Was was BYU trying to trying to beat Utah at Utah football. And, uh, I mean, it, it was it was a thing of beauty. If you're into that sort of thing, um, into just Utah pounding the rock over and over and over again, putting you in a position where you're down early so you have to throw, and them just unleashing that havoc-wreaking defense on you uh, with those super physical, well-developed corners, I mean, it, this could not have gone any better because I don't, I don't really think Utah is really the team that's equipped to blow a team out by 40. Uh, I think their, their style of play sort of precludes that. But I mean, uh, the, I mean, and, and BYU's got some good players. They got some good receivers who, you know, Gunnar Romney and Matt Bushman are two guys that I covered in high school. They combined for a total of uh, nine catches for 95 yards. Oh, wow. And that's about as good as a duo will do against this Utah, uh, a defensive backfield, I think. So unless you go out and you get an early lead and then you find a way to make them have to throw their way back in, Utah's looking really hard to beat. I totally agree with you. I totally agree that 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 they are. This is a good football team, especially on defense. Um Lucky Foto was absolutely phenomenal. Jay, uh Jalen Johnson had a good game at corner. They they both showed why they are you know why? Why they are NFL type players and NFL type talent? Zach Moss, who Arizona State fans had bashed me and were upset with me for saying for putting him above Eno Benjamin for the Pac-12 players, the top five players for this year, had a great day: twenty-nine carries, one hundred and eighty-seven yards, and a touchdown. He is going to. I, I I don't like how many carries that he had to take because you don't want your running back having to take 29 carries every single game. But he should get a break the next two weeks with Northern Illinois. And Yeah, they got two weeks. You were right. They got two weeks off. <laughs> two and weeks depending off, on how exactly. USC's looking by week four, they might have, they might have three yeah, weeks that, off. We'll that see. USC game that we had circled, that doesn't look as bad as it did because although neither one of us is super high on JT Daniels, it he's – like a freshman playing against the Utah defense does not look friendly at all. That looks mean. That looks <laughs> that looks like a, an abuse charge coming. Hey, if you're Jack Sears, what do you do at this point? If you drop am, out of the I, portal. First of all, if I'm if I'm if I am Clay Helton, I'm telling you to kick rocks, homeboy. Because here's the thing. Because. Oh, I don't. I I am one hundred percent in favor of players being able to transfer, hundred percent. I don't mind it. I don't care. Whatever. However, if you do decide to transfer, the the school then has the right. The athletic department, the team has the right to say to revoke your scholarship immediately. And we're not playing these games. We're not playing these 
oh, I'm I'm in, but I'm not in. No, either you're in the portal or you're out of the portal. Make up your damn mind and know that there's no there's no discussion. You're not the you you weren't the backup quarterback, so you're not the backup quarterback now. There's no negotiations. But at the point in time you get in the portal and me and you have a discussion and you say, yes, this is what I'm doing. That's it. You're not staying on this team. You're you're a you're you're like Judas. You're a turncoat. We're not fooling with you. That doesn't mean I don't like you or respect you as a person. It just means that you're either on the team or you're not on the team. You can't say I'm in the portal. I'm weighing weighing my my my, my options. No, you either marry me or we're not dating. Like there's no there's no courtship. There's no friends with benefits. We're either married or we're not. I like how you snuck the casting stone segment right into the middle of the podcast. That was solid. <laughs> that was good. We just got we got we got we got to get a get a sponsor for that because that was that was about as good as it gets. Oh man, I I appreciate it. Uh, the the we with a couple games left. Oh my lord, have mercy! I almost skipped over this UCLA Cincinnati debacle. You can if you and- want. You can skip it if you want. There's nothing to say. This team's not worth ta- worth, worth talking about. This is about what? to be a pack eleven apostles because I and I, I'm not gloating. I'm not gloating. They, yes, you are. No, 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 no. Can I say something? UCLA is worse than I thought they were. <laughs> oh, dude, you said they were going to go one in eleven, and I said I would fight you. And now, <laughs> dude, oh my lord, dude, they so so they play San Diego State next week. I'm supposed to be in attendance for that game. I'm telling you, Ralph. <laughs> They will not lose to San Diego State. They will not lose to San Diego State. They can't lose to San Diego State. They better not lose to San Diego State. I hope they don't lose to San Diego State. That's I don't know. Rocky, Rocky Long's got that. He got that Stanford win. He's got that Arizona State win. He's like Thanos. He's trying to get, he's trying to get at least five Pac-12 teams uh, before maybe they just join up. Because this is, I mean... Eight for twenty-six, Dorian Thompson Robinson. You think you think you think that San Diego State is gonna have a, a less relentless defensive secondary? And I mean, they're, they're definitely less skilled. I, I will say this from up close, and Manny Wilkins got in trouble for calling San Diego State's corners trash last year after San Diego State beat ASU. But the truth is there is a talent deficiency in the secondary out there. But they make up for it by being incredibly aggressive and getting after the quarterback. They're going to be tough. They're going to be really, really tough to beat. So I have a question for you. Okay. So Dorian Thompson Robinson, UCLA sophomore quarterback, whose dad last year came out and bashed Chip Kelly. Oh, Chip Chip Kelly uh, is is terrible. He's not using my son correctly. Blah blah blah. All of this. Yesterday. I'm sorry, well, not yesterday, but in their game, he was a team saboteur. He single-handedly, I know we don't criticize the kids, so this is not a criticism of, of him as a person. However, the truth is the truth. He had four turnovers all by himself. Two of them, nobody even touched him. He fumbled the ball, rolling out to his left both times, and knocked the ball off his hip twice. That's just a little bit of carelessness. And then threw two terrible interceptions. I mean, I, I don't even, if you are, if okay, so if you are Chip Kelly, 
where do you go? Do uh, you go to chase our Artopius? Do you go? Do you stay with him? Do you go with Blake? Kirk- I think you. Kirshner? I think you got to stay with him. I think you have to stay with him because I think he gives you your best chance to to win. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. It, look, look. San Diego State played Weber State. Uh, Weber State was actually pretty good in the FCS last year. And uh, they held Weber State to, I think, 150 total yards. 150 total yards. Uh, Jake Constantine, former Boise State quarterback, 21 of 31, 119 yards and a pick. So, I mean, offensively, San Diego State scored no touchdowns. They won with two field goals, six to nothing. So maybe, maybe all you need is one touchdown to win, but it's going to be tough to get that touchdown. And so I, I, but I think that knowing that San Diego State doesn't have a very good offense, you put it all on Dorian Thompson's Robinson's shoulders and say, go out and earn it, go out and get it back. Is the only way to erase the taste uh, in his mouth from from that last game is to go out and and even if it's ugly, just get a win. And so I'm, I mean, I'm be serious for a second. There's no reason that UCLA. He should have had four interceptions, Ralph. They dropped two. Yeah. Oh man, I don't know what to tell you. This is a, uh, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a tough game. It's gonna be a really really tough game. And um, I mean, do they at least get to play at home? Yes, they get to play at home. Okay, so maybe some fans will show up. Maybe. I I know what the answer is for UCLA. I know what the answer is. This is a player that I had in the top five Pac-12 players coming into this season. Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly did not play, and Darnay Holmes, their corner, did not play either. That that could have been a ten point difference between those two guys, right? I mean, why not? Houston's <laughs> <laughs> not going one and eleven, Ralph. I refuse to believe it. I will not hear anything of it. But let's get to the next, uh, the uh, final three games in the Pac Pac twelve. Uh, to oh to. What am I going to say? Two of them were not competitive. The Washington, Eastern Washington game. Uh, but there was something of note that happened in the game. Washington, they they lost their center. Uh, we, we don't know exactly what's wrong with them, but they won 47 to 14. Jacob Eason, who everybody wanted to see, the Seattle kid, left home, went to Georgia, threw for 26 for 27 for 36, 349 yards. Four touchdowns. I am underwhelmed only because they're playing against Eastern Washington. I mean, they rushed for another 200 yards, but this is what you're supposed to do. You played Eastern Washington, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess Nick Harris might end up being okay. If I'm if I'm Washington, maybe I I'm, I, I play it a little cautious um, because that's your team captain. That's your four-year starter at center, and it looked like Mateo Mele who came in and backed him up kid out from out here in, in Arizona and Tucson looked like he did okay. Um, but that, I mean, that, that could end up being really, if it's bad for Arizona state, then it's going to be bad for Washington. You don't want to have to be playing young guys on the offensive line unless they are elite. Um, I, I will say that Jacob Eason looked pretty good to me. Uh, and if I saw any holes in anything that Washington was doing, um, it's that if a quarterback can move around a little bit and get themselves some time, then I think they might be vulnerable in the defensive backfield. But again, that's a big might. 
because this was a complete performance. They came out and scored quickly. Um, they're fast. They're faster than, than usual. Uh, I, they did a lot of zone blocking. Um, so this is not going to be a power running Washington team. They're going to send uh, McGrew. They're going to send that other little running back around the edge. And so if you can shoot the gaps, you might be able to keep them to just Jacob Eason having to throw down the field. But then he showed he can hit people in their routes. He can hit people in the corner of the end zone. This is going to be a tough, tough Washington offense. The best thing to do might be to just try to keep pace with them. But typically their, their, their defense is as solid as it gets. When I saw them, I saw a complete team, although the Nick Harris injury does concern me a little bit. Uh, Ahmed and the other running running back also had some really good uh, – oh, Newton. They also had some – I mean, they, they both had respectable days, had a couple uh, – Newton had a 23-yard run. They, they It looked okay. But you know what Washington gets next week? Their non-conference schedule is is – a piece of cake. I mean, uh, assuming that Hawaii is not some world beater, <laughs> like that we it, that that they're not this what? year's Fresno State. I but, think we're. I think I think it's time to take a one year break from scheduling Mountain West teams for everybody. Oh yeah. It, every, but I mean, I'm uh, Florida State fans have to be sick right now. Missouri fans are already worried about not having a bowl. Well, guess what? They were talking about going undefeated, and not having a bowl, and the conversation it was going to start. Well, so I think maybe we just take a Mountain West vacation yep. uh, for, for the next year and let them play other uh, non-power conference teams, other group of five teams, and maybe maybe get some Conference USA opponents or something. We are going to find out what Jacob Eason is made out of next week versus Cal, though, because Cal's defense and their secondary does not play around. They are they send exotic coverages. The, they are going to be the most complex defense he faces this regular season in terms of scheme wise. So we will, we will see. I expect, I mean, and Cal doesn't give up a whole lot of passing yards. T- typically they only gave up 181 yesterday. So I I don't expect it to, I, I will know more about Jacob Eason after they play Cal this upcoming week, but then let's move on to the Cal game though. Cal is one and oh, they're one and oh. <laughs> That's all that matters, right? Hey, I told you, I told you, UC Davis wasn't going to roll over, though, dude. D- Jake uh, Cri- Ch- Chase Garbers, Cal's quarterback, much maligned from last season. He came out of saboteur again this season. He I, in the beginning of the game, I think in the first half, Cal was down 10-0 going into like midway in the second quarter. Well, Cal barely had the ball, yeah. until about. 12 minutes left in the second quarter. It was the, and that first quarter lasted forever. That was the most bored I have ever been <laughs> watching football. I'm not, I kid you not. I woke up early this morning to try to, cause I recorded all the PAC 12 games. I wanted to know what I was talking about for the podcast. And I sat down, I had my coffee. I started watching that Cal game and I fell asleep. I fell asleep like 10 minutes after waking up because it was brutal to get through that first quarter. It, I mean, it, they did not look like a, a, a power five football no. team in the first 20 minutes of that no. game. No, they did not at all. They're, I think Chase, Garber, Chase Garbers had at one point in time through, I think the beginning of the second quarter, he was either one for six and two for or two for six. And so, and he had thrown a pick. So he only had completed one more pass to his own team than he did to the other team. 
But the good news is, is that they are much better running the ball. This kid, Christopher Brown, went for he touched the ball 36 times, 197 yards and a touchdown, five and a half yard average. That is very impressive because that he's a big upgrade athletically from Patrick Laird. Even though Patrick Laird was consistent, he was reliable. He just wasn't, you know, he's not a game breaker. And this kid, Christopher Brown, can be a kid who can, if he gets loose, he may be able to hit his head on the goalpost. Yeah, and I, I will say that um, the Cal Twitter is probably one of my favorite groups of people. And um, they, they, it was kind of a tale of, of two halves for them. They spent a lot of time blaming Chase Garbers for even being in that predicament and then sort of apologizing uh, for going too hard on him when at the end of the game he finished with 238, two touchdowns. And he really kind of jump-started the offense with a 13-yard run in the second quarter, and that that just woke Cal up. Um, the thing that I absolutely loved was that the true freshman, six foot five, 280-pound Brett Johnson, picked up another dude who I covered in high school named Teron Thomas, a running back for UC Davis, and I mean, picked him up by his jersey and body yep. slammed him. And and I feel like Brett Johnson is one of the guys that at Rivals, who I work with, is one of the ratings that we we missed uh, the most on. I have an email saved from last November to Adam Gorney, our regional recruiting director, and it, it, all it says is Brett Johnson might be the highest picked guy to come out of the state of Arizona in the NFL draft in four years. And I'm just saving that because I begged him and begged him and begged him to make him a four-star. And now Brett Johnson's out on the field for Cal body slamming dudes in his very first game. So sky's the limit for that guy. He could be the next Cameron Jordan. I'm looking out for him to do. Cal fumbled the ball four times though. Cal fumbled the ball four times. And that is, they did. like, no matter how good your defense is, that is a recipe for disaster. But the last Pac-12 game that we uh, have to go over is we, we weren't sure what to make of Washington State's quarterback, Anthony Gordon. And again, this is much the same situation. Actually, it's even less of a situation than it is for Washington and Jacob Eason, where he had a phenomenal day, 300 and some odd yards, four touchdowns, all of that, super good stats. But they were playing Eastern Washington. For Washington State, it's even worse. They were playing New Mexico State, who was by far, by far, out of 130 teams in college football, they're somewhere in between like 122 and 130, or 125 and 130. But Anthony Gordon came in. 29 for 35, 429 yards, and five touchdowns. And then Gabrode, who didn't win the job, came in 9 for 11, 76 yards, and a touchdown. Max Borgie went for 10 carries, 128 yards, and a touchdown. Dude, this was a free-for-all. This was a glorified scrimmage. I learned nothing about Washington State. I didn't even, honestly, I didn't watch this game after halftime. I was like, I've seen all I need to see. I'll check and see if anybody got got hurt because there's nothing to there's nothing to gain from this yeah i mean i've tortured myself with this game a little bit longer than i should have just because i was looking for looking for high school kids who i'd covered to you know come in and get a cameo and get the ball thrown over their head uh, by washington state washington state's fourth string quarterback is an arizona guy too and so i was hoping that maybe he'd get a chance to to come in and, and pad some stats but I mean, Anthony Gordon is officially Anthony Gordon Ramsey because he was cooking. And state of Washington uh, 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 plant enthusiasts 
have to love that he uh, stopped right at 420 yards. Uh, that that had to be pretty oh, good. Oh, that, that was cute. I like yeah. that. I um, like that. I like that. But, I mean, this is what you hope a Pac-12 team will do to a lesser opponent. This is the thing you want from them, and this is the thing that nobody else outside of the state of Washington managed to do this week, which is what made this week so freaking frustrating, whether it was Arizona State or USC or the teams that managed to lose. uh, You want to see somebody come out and have worked all summer long and just be able to execute their game plan. And I guess we all have to know Anthony Gordon's name now because, I mean, that's as good of a game as you can possibly have. 29 for 35, five touchdowns, no interceptions, 12 yards in attempt. Like, that, those, those numbers are absolute money. Usually the throw for 420 yards at Washington State, you got to have 50 attempts. Yeah. He, was, he was pushing the ball down the field. Like, he, he was – he was really impressive. And you're telling me he's been sitting behind all those other guys this whole time and he didn't transfer? Yeah. That's a success story, right? That's like Mike Bercovici right. at ASU. Who sits until their fifth year just to get a chance to come in and be a star? Exactly, exactly. And I would wish him well. I hope all things work out for him. Um, you, you, you guys, this is the Pac-12 Apostles. This is the podcast about the Conference of Champions the best conference who we who we love and care about that needs to get more exposure. So you guys make sure you guys share it. Tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles. And re- remember, we come out every Monday and we come out every Thursday. So be ready. Be ready to share it. Be ready to listen to it, download it, all of that stuff. We appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy. Anything we missed, Ralph? I don't think so. I think that... Uh... Um, we had a better uh, completion percentage than Dorian Thompson Robinson. That's all I know. <laughs> oh, I we we did forget something. We did forget something that we have to put on wax just so it's there, and we will have a graphic for it out on Twitter. All of this. Give us your top twelve, your power rankings, your top twelve for week two, heading into week two, Ralph. Okay, so um, I'm going to stick with Oregon State at the bottom even though I absolutely love their offense. To me, to be in to be on my list, you have to be able to play defense. It doesn't matter how much you can score. So for me right now at the bottom, I still have Oregon State. Um, I got UCLA still at number 11. And I may, maybe maybe you'll drop them down a, a little bit uh, closer to where, where I have them, George. We'll see. Um, and then I got, I got Arizona at number 10. Um, I did not like what I saw from Cal. I'm going to have to bump them down. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to Colorado. Colorado is going to stay my number nine. And then I'll have Cal at number eight. Um, gosh, from there, uh, number seven, I'll have, uh, Arizona state. I think they're just a little bit too young to do, um, to do really anything that matters this season, but we'll see USC at number six and, and, uh, you know, I'm tilting toward dropping them even lower. We'll see how Keaton Slovis plays next week. Uh, my number five is going to have to be, uh, shoot, everybody everybody from that point, I, I will say Washington State, which is a bump up from where I originally had them. Um, number four for me is going to be Stanford, even though I'm really, really worried about the overall health of the team. Uh, 
Number three is Utah, even though they could probably be higher. At number two, I got Oregon. And number one, and Oregon, even though they lost. And number one, I got University of Washington. Okay. Okay. Not a bad list. Uh, I have Oregon State number 12. I have Arizona number 11. UCLA number 10. Colorado number nine. Cal number eight, because that was a terrible performance. I have Arizona State at seven. Washington State at, oh, I'm sorry, USC at six. Washington State at five. Actually, I'm flipping that around because I must stay consistent about 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 schedules. Because and Washington State had a much easier game with New Mexico State than USC had with Fresno State. So I'm going to go with USC five. I still got Utah at four. Got Stanford at three. Washington at two. And I still have the 0-1-1 Ducks at number one because after watching that game against Auburn, I still think that they, I thought they were the best team in the conference coming in and they did nothing to dissuade me from that. I was actually more encouraged by their defense. All right. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy. Peace out. Catch you on Thursday.